this is Evan Marcat, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women and your personal trainer for love. Welcome back to the Love You podcast where you're going to learn everything you need to know about dating, relationships, sex and men from a man's point of view. Last week, I interviewed Eli Finkel, author of The All or Nothing Marriage, who's written the most thoroughly researched book on marriage I've ever read. This week, I'm interviewing Lori Gottlieb, author of the book Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. And if it sounds like I'm working on a theme, that's because I am. I am a big believer in reality-based relationship coaching. And if every expert tells us what a successful marriage really looks like, we would be remiss to ignore them. So Lori Gottlieb and I are old friends, like from like the late 90s old friends. She briefly dated my roommate when we were living a few blocks away from each other in Brentwood, and we've uh, stayed friendly ever since. She's an incredible writer and a bit of a prodigy, sold her childhood diaries about being a Beverly Hills anorexic. She's gone to Yale and Stanford. She's written books, TV shows, contributed pieces to NPR. She now writes an advice column called What Your Therapist Thinks for New York Magazine. Just completed a new book as well. And yet, thus far, what Lori may be best known for is her 2010 book, which came out of a tongue-in-cheek article she wrote for the Atlantic Monthly about she had how she had better dating options at age 31 than at 41, and she probably should have, in quotes, settled. That piece naturally inspired a wave of internet hatred, which had her defending herself on the Today Show for the feminist sacrilege of even suggesting that women could not have it all. Good thing is Lori got a book deal out of it, and I helped coach her while she was writing it, but the wave of criticism didn't cease. Most people objected to the subtitle, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough, even though that was not something she wrote, and she did, in fact, object to it. The public evisceration of my friend was painful to watch. Even when Lori's book came out, I remember going out with her and my wife after a speaking event where she was crying and not celebrating her success. Thankfully, Lori has moved on, as has much of the internet. And as I picked up the book to prep for today's interview, I was impressed at how well uh, it had aged. I think the rest of the world has caught up to what Lori and I were saying, and that it's not at all controversial to acknowledge that there are trade-offs in every aspect of life, work, home, and yes, relationships. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my longtime friend and very talented author and therapist, Lori Gottlieb. Her official bio reads, Lori Gottlieb is a psychotherapist, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Marry Him. She writes about relationships for publications ranging from the New York Times to the Atlantic and appears frequently as an expert on the Today Show, CBS This Morning, and NPR. In her private therapy practice, she helps people learn how to have more satisfying relationships and coaches singles nationwide. Welcome back, my friend, Lori. Well, great to be here, my friend, Evan. Um, uh, it is it is almost unfortunate that the, the way we're talking now is in a public interview as opposed to just going out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do. We need to make that happen and not record it. Yeah, um, I, I feel like that, that should have been that should have been the first step. But um, let's just begin with how, how, something as, as banal as how are you? I'm I'm great. How are you? Um, well, this, this isn't about me. I'm I, I I talk about myself probably too much in my own work. Um, but for people who know you as the author of this book and exclusively know you as the author of this book, um, you were just telling me before we got on your 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 son is twelve. He's being bar mitzvahed. Um, you're you're you've got a new book you're working on. You're you're uh, a therapist, uh, I suppose, full time. 
I mean, what's what's the status update for the person who, for everybody else here, is just the author, not the friend? Well, I, I think you just gave it. I, uh, I have a private therapy practice um, where I see a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of the things that people come to you for as well, which is difficulty in relationships. And I think that relationships really define the quality of our lives. And um, it's a really important thing to kind of understand about how you relate to yourself and how you relate to others. And um, I do that in my writing and I do that in my therapy practice. Fair enough. Um, now, Maryam at this point is, up, you know, it's, it's eight years ago. It's, it's a part of your past. Are you comfortable talking about it today? I mean, is it, uh, you know, it, I don't want you to be Billy Joel ha having to be play piano man at the, at the Christmas party. Um, but are you, are you comfortable talking about th this book from eight years ago? Yeah, I, I think, as you said, I, I think the book is really timeless. It's, it's, you know, it was a research based book in which I positioned myself as the guinea pig going through it. But it's really about what makes for happy, lasting marriages and relationships. And it's, um, you know, I, I don't think that that really changes that much. I think that sometimes the culture changes and we start to redefine that. But in terms of how people interact with each other, the I vow of it, I think that it really makes people examine what they're looking for in a life partner and how to better find that. So what led you to, I guess, write the initial article, but then go forward with the book? Or was it, I wrote the article, there was this big outroar and they paid me to write the book. So then I had to figure out how to write a book. I mean, what was, what was the driving impetus behind it? Well, I wrote the article because it came out of a discussion that I was having with my Atlantic editor um, at the time about relationships and he was married and I was not married. And he was talking about his marriage in very honest terms. And I was talking about my situation in very honest terms. And, um, you know, I think that, that there was a truth to the article, but there was also a kind of a, a like hyperbole and, and kind of um, humor in the article that people miss. So, uh, you know, the point was real, which was we really need to reconsider what it is that we want in a partner and whether a human being can actually fulfill all those things. Um, and the other part of it was, you know, hyperbole to make the point. And I think that when, when we talk about settling, um, which is why I didn't want the book to have that word in the title, um, you know, it's, it's because our culture considers settling, often it considers settling, anything less than some idealized version of what we imagine in our minds, you know, whatever we've dreamed up. And when you're dealing with a real life human being and we are real life human beings, so someone's going to have to deal with us as well. Um, you know, I think it's really important to consider what that means. And so I think the book is a much more in-depth look. It's also very research-based, um, as I said, about, about those questions that I started to explore in the article. Sure. Um, yeah, and again, to me, that was, uh, I, I thought it did a really good job of, of threading that needle. Um, did you ever end up, did you ever read uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's follow-up, uh, Committed? Elizabeth Gilbert, who's now divorced? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yes. We're, you know, we're not going to pile on the hypocrisy. No, I don't mean that. Let me, let me. 
let me be clear, I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that I think that, that she asks a lot of really interesting questions. And I think that the soul searching that she's done was important for her to do, right? So so I don't think that, that we can say, well, she wrote this book about committed, but she got divorced. So therefore, um, you know, whatever she wrote in that book is invalid. I think there's a, there's a lot of, she brings up a lot of really interesting points. And I think that, you know, she had to get to the place that she got. Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't even, process. yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, if, if anything, I was just, I was comparing uh, your book, Marry Him, to her book, Committed, in that it uh -huh. was part first person memoir and exploration and part research. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So, again, that, that's uh, it, it probably out of any relationship book I've read, that was, that's the, the most obvious parallel to me. Um, so I, I remember when I tell the story of how you, you conceived of this, you talked about the, the, um, conversation with your Atlantic editor. I remember, and forgive me if I'm, I'm misremembering you telling a story, and maybe this is even in the book of how you were sitting in the park with your son, looking around at the families and saying, well, I got my son, but this isn't. This isn't the the whole American dream that I have. There's supposed to be a guy in the picture. Is, did I make that up somewhere? No, you didn't. That was in my article, um, and and that was something that I had talked about with my editor. That was part of our discussion. Was my telling him about that incident, um, and that's how I began the the Atlantic article. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's this idea that we ha we can do things a certain way um and you know like i think that people think that they can have babies until they're very old right because there's all this sort of fertility technology that that people can use um and yeah you know sometimes um but there you know there are always it's it's not necessarily going to be the way you imagine it to be and i think that that's really important to consider because when you're younger and you have a lot of options, not just, you know, even if you don't want kids, you have a lot of options in terms of partners. Um, I think there's this idea that, you know, there's always going to be the same opportunity that you have now. You're going to have that same opportunity later. And I think that people really need to understand that, that things change in different life phases. Your the people around you change, their circumstances change, the number of people who are available change, the kinds of people who are available changes. Um and and your fertility definitely does change. And so I think that I think that people um really need to think about that. There are so many people who say, well, I froze my eggs, so I have all the time in the world. And you might have a lot of, you know, you might have bought yourself more time to have a baby. But what will it look like when you have that baby? What will it look like when you're 43 with a newborn? How will you feel about that? And I think that those are things that people need to consider. I, um, you know, again, I'm really glad you brought that up um, because that's one of the things that I, I find. I, I've got women who turn to me. Nobody turns to me when she's 27, um, but I get a lot of people when they're 37 saying that, you know, dating's hard. There's a sense of urgency. She focused on her career in her 30s, um, et cetera, et cetera. And now nobody's paying attention to me online, um, losing sight of the fact that if a guy who's family-oriented wants to have two children, it's in his best interest to choose a woman who's 25 to 35, right? Like, just very practically, it's nothing personal. Um, 
it's in his best interest if he wants the time to fall in love, uh, uh, move in together, get engaged, get married, have a little time before starting a family for him to not have to be rushed, says the guy who married a 39 year old woman and had kids at 41 and 42. Well, right. I was just going to, I was just going to mention that. So there, there are always exceptions to that. You're right. But I think that, that when people are looking online, it's very different from how they might interact with you if they met you in person. So if you're, if you're 37 and you're at a party and someone starts talking to you and they really connect with you, they're probably not going to rule you out because you're 37. But if you're online, they probably won't send that first email to you or, or text. And so I think that that's the difference. And so it's not that, you know, you're washed up at 37 at all. It's that um, people are making calculations about lifestyle issues and, and, and future issues in a way that at 27, these things are, are less on the forefront of their minds. Uh, I, again, 100% agree with you there. Um, and I, again, I'm, I was really struck by the fact that you brought up the egg freezing thing because I've had many women who are like, yeah, I'm deciding between whether to get coaching from you or freeze my eggs. Uh, and they're, they're thinking of that as an either or trade off. And I'll say, well, for me, getting the, the, getting the order right matters, which, again, is not to criticize you for, you know, having, you know, having a son the way you did. But rather, if we're trying to go with plan A, we start with the guy <laughs> and then together, whatever, whatever circumstance that is, you and the guy figure out how you start a family, whether it's with uh, IVF or adoption or surrogacy or whatever. But you start with that building block of you and he are going to build a family instead of here's my insurance policy, the frozen eggs. Now I could go on match.com and say, hey, boys, I've got frozen eggs. It doesn't matter that I'm 46. And that's not true. <laughs> it's just... It's it's it makes people feel better than it should, I think. Well, I, I do think there's value to freezing one's eggs if you really know for sure that you want to be a parent um, because you don't know when you're going to meet that person. And so I, I, I think that there is value to that. But I think that the problem is that people um, overcorrect in terms of, you know, what that value is. So. There's definitely value because if you know for sure that you want the experience in your life of being a parent and, you know, you you might want to use those when you're 39. Right. You might want to use those eggs that you froze at 32 when you're 39. Um, and, and you might have a much easier time getting pregnant because you don't know what's going to happen with your fertility. So a lot of people imagine that they're going to be fertile much longer than they actually are. So there's that. But I also think that people do overcorrect and they believe that um, they have all the time in the world. And I think that that gives them sort of a sense of smugness in the dating world, whereas they really need to not change anything about the sense of urgency. And I don't mean fear or desperation. Um, I mean, being intentional. If you really want a partner, you've got to be intentional in how you're looking for a partner so that you find the right one, the one that you're actually going to fall in love with, not the one that's going to be a relationship that makes you unhappy. Agreed. So the opening of your book, and there's, there's, there's sort of multiple openings to your book, but I remember the, the list of a hundred things or so that you're looking for in a man. <laughs> um, do you remember writing that? I do. So, you know, I think what's important about that list is that I never thought I had a list. 
And I don't think that most people do. I think if you ask most people, you know, what they're looking for in a partner, they say, I don't, you just know, you fall in love, you know it when you see it, right? Um, and I certainly subscribe to that theory because I never had in my conscious mind a list. But when a married friend said to me, no, you have a list, but write down what you're looking for. I thought I would write down like, you know, a few things. I had like 60 things, you know, that I was looking for. But I really, when she really forced me to, to like get really specific about what I wanted. And I didn't realize that I was unconsciously carrying around this list. And because I was carrying around this list, it immediately um, excluded people from from a first date that, you know, and I had never known that about myself. I didn't know that I was that specific about what I wanted or needed and how many of those things on the list turned out to be not really that important in the scheme of things. Well, and that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a given. I mean, uh, what, what, the reason I love talking to you about this material in this book is that you were going through it at the time and I was going through it at the same time. I mean, I was, I was engaged, uh, uh, you know, while, you know, while we were going through this process and kind of formulating all these theories out loud. Um, and so that list of what you want is sort of a, 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 a it's a touchstone of, of what I teach in my love you course. Um, I remember you, you saying things like, you know, he's, he's into sports, but he doesn't watch, you know, but he doesn't watch football every Sunday or like there, there was these really like sort of nuanced things where you don't want a guy who's like a total dork, but you don't want him to be too into something. And there was a lot of that pulling, you know, getting things from both ends, trying to find that nuance. And, you know, he's, he's into science, but he's not too nerdy, or, right? Do you, you probably remember your list better than I do. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what it, what it yeah. sounded like was you were trying to create the male version of you. Oh, no, not really. Um, uh, no, I wouldn't. No, um, I think that there was just, you know, I, I think I was trying to take sort of the qualities that I liked from different guys that I had dated without the qualities that didn't work as well and put them all into one new perfect person without That's realizing that I was trying to do that. So um, here's all the good with none of none of the downside. We're just cherry picking great qualities. If I could build the perfect man. Right. Which is, which is, you know, you can't, you know, we're dealing with, with flawed human beings like we are. One of the most useful things you said to me when I was writing the book and it actually appeared in the book um, was you said, I want you to make a different list. I want you to list all of the things that somebody would have to put up with to spend their life with you. And, you know, it was one of these aha moments. Because you had a really hard time with it. You're like, um, I'm short. I said, yeah, that's not really, uh, <laughs> most guys don't have a problem with short. Let's, let's go a little deeper. <laughs> yeah. But it was also that, that, you know, what you helped me notice was that the things that I thought were sort of quirky and cute and endearing about myself just made me really annoying and hard to live with. And so, and so, you know, like we, it's kind of like in a job interview when they say like, tell us what your weaknesses are. And you say something that's, that sounds like a strength, like, well, I work too hard, you know, because that's actually appealing to the employer, even though, yeah, it, it, it could be construed as a weakness. And I was kind of doing that with my list of what somebody would have to put up with. Like, well, I can be a little, you know, controlling, but in a cute way. And it's like, no, that's not cute. That's really difficult to deal with in a partner. And so you really helped me to see that not only, you know, when, when we talk about compromising, 
somebody has to compromise to be with us too. There's, you know, whatever, however many wonderful assets we have, no matter how appealing we are, we also have things about us that are, you know, less than optimal for our partner. And, and we have to realize that everybody is going to make choices in their relationships. And there's nothing unromantic about that. In fact, what's so romantic is that you love the person so much that you want to be with them despite the fact that they don't tick every, you know, item on your list. Um, uh, you, 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 you could have taken that directly from the last uh, module in my, my Love You course. That's, I, 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 lo I love hearing these words coming out of your mouth. Um, so we, this is an opinion. I, I don't think there's any way to um, uh, scientifically quantify this, but we talk about that list of things you're looking for in a man. Are, do you think women are pickier than men or is it just they're pickier about different things? Well, there's a chapter in Marry Him that actually is called Are Women Pickier Than Men um, or something like that. It's, um, you know, and there are studies that show that they are. And so you can look them up in the book. But I think that what they were getting at was that um, women, you know, both men and women want to find the right person for them and they want passion and they want chemistry and you should have them. So there's nothing in Marry Him that advises against that or that says you should compromise on chemistry. It doesn't. Um, but I think that what happens is women certainly are pickier um, about a lot of things that men might not be. So on a first date, for example, men said, you know, in a survey, they said, well, you know, there are three things basically that get a woman to a second date. And those would be um, she's warm and kind. She's cute enough. It doesn't mean she has to look like some fantasy that women imagine men are looking for. She has to be like cute to him the way that he has to be cute to you. Um, and, and, she, and we have a good conversation. And then they get a second date. It seems really reasonable. But when women were asked, you know, what would prevent you from going on a second date with a guy or what has in the past? They named things like he ordered tap water without asking me if I wanted bottled water. I mean, these are, these sound like really extreme things, but these were not women who seemed extreme in other ways or things yeah. like, you know, he, he told this Austin Powers joke and did this accent on the date and it just really turned me off. And maybe he was nervous. Maybe he was trying to impress you. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons that people do things on first dates. Um, and so if you had a good enough time and you were relatively attracted to him and, you know, you felt good on the date. And even if, even if you weren't like, oh my God, I, you know, I want to spend my life with this person, spend another hour with him, go on another date with him. It's another hour of your life. And if you're not happy on that date, you don't like him, fine. But, you know, give it another try if you had a good enough time the first time. A lot of people, if they have a quote, good enough time, they don't go on the second date because they think, well, fine, nice guy, but, you know, no, no sparks. And then they move on. And if you, if you, and in, in Mary Him, there, there are these studies that this uh, researcher did where she, she looked at what people said about um, 
about their their first dates later on. So she she had them write down at the time of the first date, you know, what their impressions were. And then later on, she had them, you know, she followed them over years and saw how those stories changed. And what happened was, if people were happy in their marriages, even if at the time of the first date, they said, yeah, no sparks, no chemistry, or they were like, yeah, okay, or whatever. Later, they'll retell the story, I knew right away, or I knew I liked him on that first date when such and such happened. And so they, they change their story. And likewise, for people who had incredible chemistry on a first date, if they weren't happy later on, they changed the story. Yeah, I wasn't really that into him on the first date. So it's interesting because they got the real-time impressions, but then they get how the story changes. And I think that what that shows is that we don't really know a lot on a first date. And so if you, you know, had a good enough time, you should go on that second date because you don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I came up with uh, um, an idea that instead of dissecting him like a lab rat on, 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 a, on a first date, uh, trying to figure out if he's your future husband... Um, you focus on three different metrics and I want to float this by you, see what you think. The three metrics to determine whether a guy gets a second date was attraction, fun, and comfort. And if any of those things on a, you know, on a one to 10 scale falls below a five, if you don't get attraction, fun, or comfort, there's no second date. There's no point in forcing yourself to go out with someone you weren't comfortable with, you didn't have fun with, or you weren't attracted to. But if those scores are all somewhat positive, then it's worth exploring. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's wise. I think that under comfort, maybe I would I would put stability. I mean, I think people are comfortable with stability. And so I think that you can meet someone who's attractive and fun, but they're kind of a train wreck. <laughs> well, I wasn't talking about, uh, I wasn't really talking about um, assessing him as a life. It was more talking about the feeling that, right? These are all feelings attraction, fun, and comfort. Could I relax? Could I be myself around him? Mm -hmm. it, was, I, was I nervous or did something just feel off? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think too, it's really important. And I say this from wearing the therapist hat right now, that sometimes what feels comfortable to people is not necessarily what will make them comfortable because they keep recreating a pattern where they go after a certain kind of guy who's going to hurt them or they are going to be dissatisfied with. And, and so for them, they, they, they're like, Oh, you feel familiar. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll go on a second date with you. But the, sure. but the familiarity comes from a place of something they haven't worked through. And so it's really important to, and I think in their twenties to get really clear on who they are and what kinds of people they surround themselves with, not just romantic partners, but friends, community, who, who, who are they around? Are these people who are, who are, who are reliable and stable, um, mature, you know, are those the kind of people they hang out with? Or are they people who have lots of problems? Are they people with lots of, you know, chaotic histories and, and addictions and unstable work life? And, you know, are they people who have their lives together or not? And who are you surrounding yourself with? Makes sense. Um, so, uh, deep in retrospecting, and maybe you've already covered it, but what, what were the main lessons you took away from writing this book that you'd want a reader to take away from reading this book, right? Sort of, uh, the stuff that after all these years really sticks with you as your aha moments through the process. 
Right. Well, I think the last chapter of the book was what I wanted um, people to take away, which was that I wanted them to see my experience as I went through um, trying out what each of the various experts had recommended. And these were, you know, these were all kinds of social scientists and marriage experts and people who studied divorce and, um, you know, dating coaches, matchmakers, all kinds of people. So even behavioral economists talking about sort of the economics of, of the dating world, which people don't like to think about, but should. Um, and so I think in the last chapter, I was trying to say, look at my experience going through this at the age I was going through it. Um, and, you know, which was hovering around 40 and look at, um, you know, and, and look at how it could be different. And so these are things that people need to think about. Nothing has changed in the eight years since I wrote that chapter in terms of what I would recommend. I think that that's what makes the book such an evergreen, which is that this is there's nothing I'm saying in the book that's controversial or provocative. Um, but it goes against these cultural myths that are so ingrained, especially in women at a very young age. And so absolutely the book and my advice remains um you need to find a person that you are completely and totally passionate about and in love with but you need to be able to meet that person and if you keep ruling out people um at any stage of the dating process for the wrong reasons you're going to keep going after people who are not going to in the end um land you the kind of partner that you want I think it was the thing that I remembered most from from Mary him was, uh, and again, I, I don't know if it was you who said it or, or me who said it. To be honest, with you. <laughs> it was it, it was people people tend to compromise on the wrong things, right? right? People will compromise on consistency or kindness or communication skills, but they won't compromise on height or religion. Well, right. So so let's let's talk about you know going back to some of these questions about you know what does matter, right? Because people I think want well what are the takeaways? And I think that that when you go through the book, you start to realize that it's not the book is not asking people to lower their standards. The book is doing the opposite. It's saying raise your standards, people. Raise them much higher, but raise them on the things that matter because a lot of people don't seem to care about character qualities. They don't seem to care about is this person generous? Is, is, does he have a, 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 a generosity of spirit? Is this a person that I can rely on? Does this person call me when he says he will? Does this person, um, is this person able to have hard conversations with me? Is this person committed to our relationship? Does this person make me feel uneasy? Does this person tell the truth? Is he an honest person? On those things, women will give men a pass repeatedly but they won't give men a pass if like they don't like the way he dresses it's the strangest thing and so i think that what i'm asking people to do in the book is to say consider raising your standards on some of these things where you're not getting your needs met and consider being a little looser with your standards on some of these things that matter not one bit for whether you are going to be happy with this person okay um, uh, I just feel, uh, like I want to give you an, 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 amen after every little speech you give here. Um, this is a, this is a curveball of a, a question, but, um, looking back, is there anything 
in retrospect that you would either retract or rethink from the original book? Something that um, uh, either, you know, constructive criticism made you uh, look at differently or just uh, age, experience and wisdom where you look back and said, huh, maybe I wouldn't have phrased it that way or, you know, I, I, I could have been more nuanced with this or that. Um, I think, no, I think if anything, the, the time that has passed has confirmed how true what the expert said really is. So I'm really glad that I went and spoke to so many different people because their research and their experience, um, was so valuable. And so I feel that, you know, I still get mail like, you know, many times a week from people who read Mary Him. And I hear people's stories um, in response to the book. And there are so many people who, you know, have found the right partner, who have, um, you know, who have really started, even if they haven't found the right partner, they've, they've dated differently and are having a much happier experience while they're dating. And then I think there are people who don't read the book and just read the title and they say, well, I stayed with a guy for three months because of your book. And then I say, well, have you read the book? And they say, well, no, but I know what it's about. <laughs> so it's like, well, I don't think you really know what it's about if you haven't read it. And I wouldn't recommend that you stay with someone that doesn't really meet the criteria that we talk about in the book. So, um, you know, and then there's that. And I think also just in clinical practice, I think no matter what people come in for when they see me as a therapist, relationships always come up and the quality of our relationships comes up. Even if people come in and they have a boyfriend or they're married, you know, what what is it that they're struggling with? Why are they struggling? So a lot of married people have actually found the book useful because it helps them to understand more about what it is that they're asking for of their partner and, and, and what are they offering to their partner in return? And I think that those are questions that are hard to look at. And sometimes when you're talking about it with your partner, we tend to get defensive, but when you're talking about it with a, a third party, who's not really, um, you know, invested in that in the same way, um, they're really able to step back and let down their defenses and talk about, you know, what are they giving and what are they getting? And what does that all mean? And I think that that's really one of the most important things somebody can consider when they're considering who am I going to spend my life with? Um, you talked to a bunch of experts in, in your book. Uh, I remember, I remember I recommended uh, some of the people that you talked to. Was there anybody who stood out whose wisdom t seemed to be um, unique or insightful? Well, you know, I think you just did, I think on your podcast, you just spoke to Eli Finkel and I spoke to him about online dating. This was when he was, um, when he was, he was doing all these studies about, uh, you know, how people meet and whether what they're searching for is actually what they want when they meet in person. And I think the chapter on internet dating, where he talks about his research, has been so helpful to so many people. And I hope that people will at least check out that chapter because I, I, I'm sure that a lot of your listeners do apps and online dating. And, um, you know, I think that what he has to say can really help guide people to be more um, efficient in how they do it. Um, on a more personal note, um, what was it like when I was coaching you? <laughs> <laughs> when you were writing this it thing. Was, 
It was um, fantastic. If I if I can give you a, a huge plug here, that's what I that's what I would do. Oh, I, I, I didn't know what you're going to say. So it's it's like the Chris Darden uh, OJ thing. You should be careful not to ask a question where you don't really know the answer. Right, but right. I am I am curious because we're you didn't see me as a coach. I mean, you saw me as, as something else when I was doing that job. Well, I did see you as a coach. I mean, I told you I was writing the book and I wanted you to coach me through it. So I, I did see you as a coach. But but um, but I think that that the way that you were able to talk to me really felt like um, I'm trying to think of how to describe this. It was so it was so gentle, but pointed. So what I mean by that is that there was no judgment. There was no, um, you know, there was no kind of, there was no criticism, but you were very clear about what, what I was doing and what its impact might be. And I think that you were able to do it in a way that wasn't too soft, but also wasn't off-putting. And that's a really hard thing to do. And I think as a therapist, that's something that, you know, since then I've had to learn how to do as well, which is how do people, you know, it's one thing to see what people are doing. It's another thing to get them to see it. And there's a big, big gap between what we can see in other people because we have the vantage point of not living their lives and and what we can get them to see. And sometimes it's really hard to get them to see something. And I think that what you were able to do in the book was to get me to see things about myself that were really hard to look at in any other way. So it was one thing for the other experts and the other scientists to say, here's the research. And for me to experience it was really powerful. But I think while I was experiencing it, you were also coaching me through it. And um and that was really helpful. And again, at the time, you were going through it in your own life because you had just gotten engaged to someone that years earlier you might not have looked at. And you, all these years later, I think it's the best decision of your life, right? And so I, I think that, that that was really powerful to see you actually not only coach me through it, but live it yourself. Um, well, thank you, Lori. Do you remember what you wrote about my wife? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, uh, uh, it, it's one of those things because I did I did go back and reread it, and if I if I weren't me, I I would get angry at it. Um, you know, and I, I think I think what's so important. But, 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 wait, but, can I just say one thing but, about but that? I think no. I think the the the, the end the end of my statement is this, um, and and again uh, without without going to my bookshelf and reading the book, Lori uh, describes when she met my wife and she said, and I think the quote was she she was objectively average, um, you know she was attractive but not that attractive and she seemed seemed pleasant but she wasn't uh, you know outrageously funny and uh, so it was just the first impression was that she you know, she did, she didn't dazzle. And so uh, objectively average sounds like an insult because none of us like to think we're objectively average. However, her observation about my wife was accurate. And it's the exact observation that I made um, in my own work, which is to say that I have dated people who were younger or prettier or more brilliant or more successful or more ambitious or more intellectual. And the moral of the story was that it didn't matter. 
Um, Because we are not measuring people against each other on any sort of score. It's the sum total of the human being. And what I thought my wife is, is the best person I've ever met. So whether how she would score in comparison to the rest of society is irrelevant. Um, there, I'd never met a person uh, who can make me happier. And it's dangerous for people to talk about this kind of stuff, lest you sound like you're insulting someone. Um, and so I, I, I only bring this up because I think it's, I think it's an important thing, if, especially in this Trumpian post-fact society, if we can't, or, and with the Me Too movement too, if we can't talk honestly about stuff that's going on, um, it doesn't make for a rigorous, fair dialogue. If I can't acknowledge that that I married the best person, even though I met more impressive people, without insulting my wife, who's my wife for 10 years, we have to be able to hold those two ideas in our head. So to me, it was, this was just a leaping off point to get that, that out, because what Lori wrote, I, the first time I read it was like, I don't know how I could share this with her. I don't know how this could go public. But what I do know is that it, it, does, it, it doesn't matter. And what Lori wrote wasn't necessarily a lie. It just wasn't a pretty truth. So, right. And so I want to I contextualize that. And I think you just put it beautifully, which was that we're all pretty average, right? Um, or at least on some dimensions. So maybe we're, we're spectacular in one dimension, but we're kind of average in a different dimension. So, and, and I think that the context is that I had seen who you had dated before, and they were not in any way better than your wife, but they were different in different ways. And what I was trying to say when I was describing your wife, who I love, by the way, as you know, is that, um, that just because you might have dated someone who was more X or less Y or whatever had no impact at all on how completely you were in love with her and how excited you were to have found her. And, and that was the point in writing that, which was to say, it's not like, oh, look, Evan found this like amazing person who's a 10 on every single thing and the best in every dimension possible. It was he found the best person for him, the person that he is so, you know, fortunate to have found. And that's what we all want. That's what we all hope for. So it wasn't like, hmm, is she as X as this person or as Y as this person, which I think a lot of people do, not consciously. And that's the point. Like nobody thinks that they're that person who does that. But often people will do that. They'll compare to their exes or to or some idea of who they want. And they don't just look at the person in front of them and say, wow, this is a spectacular person. And the fact that your wife handled it with such grace speaks again to what an amazing person she is. This is a person who has never been anything but lovely to me, despite being described as, you know, average in in various ways in the book and 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 you know she's so confident in herself that you know that's a really extraordinary person yeah no she's she's uh she's a she's a unicorn and uh i i it's despite everything it's one of the things i remember most from the book and i feel like i should be more upset about it but 
I I can't deny the reality of it. Um, and I think it's just important for people to have these kind of honest conversations that the man you marry will probably not be the cutest guy you've ever been with or the best sex you've ever had or the most brilliant man you've ever met, but he'll make you happier than any of those men that you've been with before. The cutest guy or the most brilliant guy. The, the guy you marry is the one who is the best of all of those dimensions, not just the top of the heap in each individual category. Well, right. And, and also remember, he might be, um, you know, maybe he's, he's cuter, but makes less money, or maybe he makes more money, but he's, um, you know, doesn't read the same things you read. You know, it just, it's just the, the whole of the person. It's not, you can't isolate these individual variables in the same way. And so, but we try to. That, that's, that's the, the point. That's the like thing that was, is, that was it, the point in writing what yeah. what I wrote about your wife, which was because you talk about it in that chapter. It wasn't just you know here's this paragraph. It was a, it was it was you talking about it, and you were so thoughtful about it, and you were saying you know I, you know have I dated people who are more attractive? And women think, well, how could you say such a thing, right? Because your wife is beautiful, but she you know have you dated? You know, somebody who might have been more attractive in, in whatever culturally sanctioned way, maybe, I don't know. But, but you know, I think that the point was you were very thoughtful in how you were talking about what it means to be in love with someone versus what it means to go through this analysis when we're dating. And, and I think that what, what you try to do in your work and what I try to do in both my therapy work and what I tried to do in Marry Him was to say to people, there are there are ways that you might be getting in your own way in terms of finding the person who's going to make you feel the way that you, Evan, feel with your wife. And so we all want mm -hmm. to find that person. And um, and and are we getting in our own ways? And you were saying that in your own life, you had gotten in your own way lots of times. And when you finally got over yourself and said, you know, what do I really want? That's when you found her. Yeah, no, it was it was I, it was a very very conscious shift between giving advice to others that I wasn't following myself and realizing that I was a world class hypocrite who was telling people to make compromises that I wasn't willing to make. And in the past, you know, you know, we, we we're both friends with uh, Julie Furman, and Julie said, Evan, you know, I know you know I you know you're a dating coach, and I know you want to get married and have kids, and you're such a good catch. What are you looking for? And I'd say, give me the smartest woman you know and work backwards. That was my quote. Give me the smartest woman you know and work backwards. And she did. She gave me a woman who spoke nine languages <laughs> and went to Harvard. And we went on uh, one of the most awkward first dates in history. Um, but I got what I asked for. Um, I, I, I got the smartest person that she knew. And... It, it sounds like faint praise to describe someone as sufficiently smart or sufficiently attractive, um, the, right? The case for settling for Mr. Good Enough. But your point and my point is that we, we, we are all good enough for someone else. None of us are, are perfect. We all have to make uh, smart trade-offs to be in a happy relationship. And if if we hold out for this mythical person who's got all good qualities, not just good qualities, but the best qualities, the tallest, richest, cutest, smartest, nicest, most generous man I've ever met, right? 
we're, we're essentially relegating ourselves to a life of well, being right. small. And I think too, with when you say smartest, right, there, there's a lot, there are a lot of different meanings to that. So does smart mean yes. that she speaks nine languages and went to Harvard or does smart mean that she's a bright person and you can have interesting conversations with her. And, and, you know, so, yeah. so I think like, you know, when, when, what, what are we really seeking? We're really seeking someone who's kind, someone who's, emotionally stable somebody who wants the same things that we want i mean when you're getting down to the basics those are the things that should be at the top of your list not like did she go to harvard and those things do not show up those things do not show up and they but they don't show up in a tinder profile and they don't show up necessarily even on a first date that's the hard part is the things that we are most attracted to right oh he likes skiing i like skiing Right. He likes Coldplay. I like Coldplay, blah, blah, blah. He grew up in a cult. I grew up in a cult. Whatever those things are, have so no bearing on what's going to work for the next 40 years. And it's very hard to wean yourself off of what you're attracted to. Right. Because you feel like you're sacrificing. Like when, when you say, here's what's good for you, people feel like you're telling them to eat the broccoli. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think also, um, you, sometimes you can't tell that on a first date, but often people do and they ignore it. So they very conveniently, yeah. you know, take away from the first date what they want. So they might hear something about, you know, someone's history or even see them like, you know, treat someone in the restaurant not well. Or, or, or you know, they, they, they see a person get super irritated about kids in the restaurant and yet like you want kids. Right. And so, um, you know, they ignore the 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 information that they are getting on the first date. Often people will tell you very early on exactly who they are, but sometimes we don't want to hear it. And so it's important to really yeah. listen for that. You know, what is it about them that they're telling you that you're, that you will explain away and justify and rationalize um, so that you can continue being infatuated with this person. Um, I, again, I'm with you. <laughs> Um, what is, I, you talked about the last chapter, so I'm not sure if there's anything to add to this, but, um, marry him is in the same breath, uh, a cautionary tale, right? Don't do what I did. Uh, and also a, a hopeful message and, and, and the hopeful message seems to have gotten swallowed by the controversy in the title. But what is the what's the what's the positive hopeful message that people take away from reading? Their yeah, book? well, I think in the last eight years, the hopeful message has actually eclipsed the the negative message. So, um, um, you know, and I think that that once people sort of calm down about the brouhaha around the title um, and they read the book, I think that they did come away with hope. And I think the hope was that. I'm struggling so hard in my dating life and everything I've tried is not working and I'm giving up hope turns into, oh, wow, I didn't realize that I was never in jail to begin with. You know, I can walk around those bars. Um, there are things that I can mm -hmm. do. It's not just like all men are this or all men are that or men are terrible. It's, it's really not about that. There are so many great guys out there. And you've been blind to them. And so here is how you can open your eyes, not to the broccoli, as you say, but to the guys that are actually the guys, the guys that you have been looking for and claim don't exist. They are out there and Mary Him shows people how to find them. 
Um, what did you, how, how did, how did writing this book impact you in ways, both positive and negative on a, per, on a, on a personal note? Cause I know you went through a lot of, uh, and I didn't want to get too into it, but you went through internet hate and people wrote some mean stuff about you. And, uh, you know, it was the first thing that came up in Google. How did, how did this impact you in ways good and bad? Well, I think it was really hard when the book first came out because that is what would come up on Google. Um, and, and I think that the people who were really impacted in a positive way by the book would email me personally. And so that never got on the internet. They would send me notes. I'm afraid to post about this because I'm afraid that I will get attacked. So it was sort of like people didn't want to hear whatever they didn't want to hear, what they imagined was in the book. And other people could not speak up about what they were getting from the book because they were afraid that they too would get attacked. I think all of that's gone now. I don't think that, I think that's a non-issue now. Um, So I think that, that personally, I think it showed how hard it is for people to look at themselves. And once they do, how freeing that is. And so I really saw that in action. I saw people who would just rail against the concept of whatever they thought the book was about and then date and date and date and date and get more despairing and then finally pick up the book and then realize, oh, there is another way. There is another way to find a partner and and I don't have to make it so hard on myself. Got it. So what can... um... Uh, readers who have enjoyed today's Love You podcast or enjoyed your work expect to see from you next. What's uh, what's what's on tap for Lori Gottlieb? Um, I have another book that is um, coming out a year from now, or a year in in April from now, um, and um, it is kind of a behind the scenes of the therapy world, and it is a book ultimately about how we heal. And I'm very much looking forward to um, getting that one out. And um, did, did, you, did you settle on a title, or that's still? <laughs> um, we're we're no, working on okay. the title. We're working on it. Suggestions are okay. uh, are welcome. I I already made mine. They didn't go yes, anywhere. So yes. Um, so we are we are working on the title, and um, but it will be out in April of 2019, and I am very excited for that. Excellent. Excellent. Very excited for you. Um, and uh, is there anything that readers could do now? Uh, is there any value of them going to your to your website or just you want them to go check out check out Marry Him right uh, off Amazon? Either way, they can learn about Marry Him on my website or they can learn about it on Amazon. And um, I hope that it uh, makes people's dating lives more satisfying. Awesome. Thank you, Lori. Let's let's seriously get together. Let's not be LA people who talk about getting together. That's right. Let's really That's do right. It. Well, this was a, this was a real pleasure. Thanks, Evan. Right, thank you. Um, my name is Evan Marquette. This is the Love You Podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe to the Love You Podcast on iTunes. If you're already a subscriber who wants to learn everything you need to know about dating, relationships, sex, and men, go to my website. Click on uh, Love You and uh, do yourself a favor and uh, join my Love You relationship coaching program. Uh, It's going to make a big difference in helping you understand men and find the relationship you deserve. See you again next week on the Love You podcast. 